First Peter chapter 5, let me read verses 1 to 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Groups of people in difficult circumstances need good leadership. People always need good leadership. We always need it. But especially when when you're going through a tough spot, when there's a crisis, when there's challenges, that's when good leadership's really needed. You know, when the ship is sailing through 40-foot seas in the middle of a tempest, you want a good captain on the bridge making good decisions. When it's the fourth quarter and two minutes left in the game and you've got the football but you're down and you need a touchdown, like that's when the quarterback really needs to step up and lead the church, uh, rather the, uh, the football team well. <laughs> and when your business is not doing well and you're not hitting earnings projections quarter after quarter and the stock price of the company is going down, you know, what, what a business... Uh, you, you know, what, the, what does the board do? They say, man, we need a new CEO. We need a turnaround artist. We need someone who can lead us back to profitability. And churches in difficult times need good leadership. I think that's why Peter talks about elders here in verses 1 to 5. I mean, at first when I was studying this, it seems a little bit random. You know, we've been studying through First Peter chapter after chapter this year, and, and it's been all about, you know, the suffering of the church, the struggles of the church. He's trying to encourage these persecuted believers, and then all of a sudden we get to chapter 5, and he starts talking to elders. And it's like, why is he talking to elders? Where, where did this come from? I think it's because part of Peter's strategy for helping the church in the midst of its struggles is to also make sure that the leadership is in place and working as it should. So I think it's all part of that. As, as we, you guys saw last Sunday in chapter 4, where Peter says it's time for the judgment and trials to come upon the household of God, well, now he wants to speak to the leaders of that household. So he's speaking to elders here. So this is just a really, I think, helpful passage, especially as we think about our own church in a season of transition and change and uncertainty. It's a good time to revisit biblical leadership and I would argue that this passage is not just for pastors and elders. That's why we had our pastors and elders stand earlier. Um, so uh, we want to pray for them, encourage them. But it's not just pastors and elders. I think a lot of the principles here apply to you know, committee leaders and ministry leaders and those of you who lead growth groups and those of you who teach Sunday school classes and, and those of you who are you know, youth leaders. Well, I guess all our youth leaders, they're away this weekend at a retreat. 
But uh, whoever is, is leading and, and ministering in the church and caring for others, this is for us. We need to be these kinds of leaders because it takes more than just a handful of elders to lead a church well. It takes a whole church to lead a church well as we care for and lead each other. So, so most of this passage, verses 1 to 4, is directed at elders. And then there's a little bit at the end, verse 5, that, that I think really is talking about how the church responds to godly elder leadership. But let's spend the, the bulk of our time looking at what the kind of leadership is that's required in difficult circumstances, particularly. And, and I, I want to point out four things here in these four verses. There's a what, and, or there's a who, there's a what, there's a how, and there's a why. So first of all, the who. This is directed to elders. Look at verse 1. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So the who, he's speaking to our elders. And, and maybe you're, you're saying, who? Elders? You know, what, what are elders anyway? Perhaps you come from a church tradition where churches didn't have elders. Maybe they had different leaders who had different names, and, and you didn't call them elders. So maybe you're kind of scratching your head a little, being like, what exactly is an elder? Or maybe you're, you're here this morning, and you're, you're new to Christianity, and you, uh, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and so you're kind of like, what's an elder? I mean, that sounds like, like some tribe, you know? You imagine there's a tribe, and then there's these, this fire at night, and the elders sit around the tribe, you know, around the fire, right? Is, is it like that? Actually, kind of. <laughs> you, you know, elders it is a very common, ancient form of societal leadership. Most, most societies throughout history and across the world are structured around families and clans. That's how most of the world has structured itself throughout human history. Groups of people in societies have, you know, families, and then they're extended families, and then there's clans, and there's tribes. So, so most human society is familiarly structured. We, we kind of lost that here in modern America, but, but still, I think in New England you still have some of that. There's still kind of lots of families that live near each other. And, and so what happens in a family-based kind of culture is that there, there emerge these patriarchs and matriarchs, these respected people that everybody respects, and they become kind of the elders. And they're often older, but not always, but it's just that they're respected and people have, have learned to trust their leadership. And so you have this kind of group of people. So it's a very actually natural human way of structuring a group of people. And it makes sense for the church because the church is a family. We're one big family in Christ, a family joined together around the gospel, a joined together in the Holy Spirit. And so really this, this elder model is, is a very natural model for a family. The church is a family. And these are, are kind of the elders, the spiritual parents among us who, who are called to lead us. And so that's why in the Old Testament you see elders there's elders in villages, there's elders in tribes, there's elders over Israel. And then you come into the New Testament, and, and all over the New Testament, there's so many passages in the New Testament that speak about how elders should lead. It seems that from the earliest days of the church that we have any records, that the earliest days that the pattern for church leadership was elders, that, that the apostles and people would go out and they'd preach the gospel and people would get saved and then those saved people would 
coalesce together in a church, and then the apostles couldn't stay in that church forever, so they would put leaders in the church, and what did they put in place? Elders. That's the pattern that we see throughout the New Testament. Not only that, something else I could point out about elders is that there are, there are many elders. There's a plurality of elders. Look at verse 1 again. Peter says, to the elders, plural, among you. And this is another pattern that we see throughout the New Testament, that whenever we see elders in action in a local church or in a town, there's always more than one of them. So, so elder leadership is very much communal leadership. It's, it's a group of people working together as a team. There isn't one person who runs the show. There isn't someone outside of our church, one person who, who leads our church. There's no pope. There's no bishop outside of our church. Those, those roles aren't in the Bible. That's stuff that people made up over the centuries. God's plan for leading the local church was a team of elders. Uh, and, and not only is there not one person outside of the church, there's not one person inside of the church. The senior pastor is not the boss of the church. The chairman of the elders is not the voice of the elders or the church. The longest-serving elder in the church, who's been an elder more times than anyone else, is not the voice or the boss. It's a communal leadership. It's a plurality of elders who lead together. And you say, well, that's not a very efficient way to run things. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) But it's a family. Families aren't efficient. You know, they're relational. You say, well, I wouldn't run my business this way. Yeah, neither would I, but this isn't a business. It's a family. It's a clan. It's a people. And, and so there's, there's a, a ponderousness to it. You know, it's like, why does everything go so slow in churches? You know, in my business, we would just do this or that. Like, yeah, it's not business, though. It, it's, a, it's a community that has to be led together and has to be loved and shepherded. And so that's what elders are. That's who they are. But even more important than who they are, is what they're called to do, right? Because you can have elders, you can have people designated as the leaders, but it's good leadership that's required. So what is the task of these elders? What, what is their responsibility? And it's right there in verse 2. Peter says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Isn't that interesting, by the way? Peter calls himself a fellow elder. You know, he's not like Peter... One of the apostles, the guy who Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock, I'm the rock talking to you. No, 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 no. He doesn't, he doesn't pull the rock card. He's just like, look, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm one of, I'm one of you guys. I'm a witness just like you guys. I think what it says, a witness to Christ's sufferings, he's talking about being a, a, a witness like an evangelist. He's not talking about his eyewitnessing. One who will share in the glory. I'm one of you guys. I'm in the same job description as you, the elders as a group, and I'm one of of many. And he says in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. So elders are to oversee or lead the church, and they're to do it as shepherds. Shepherding is the model. Just as much as we find elders throughout the whole Bible, another common theme we see of leadership is shepherding throughout the Bible. Elders are called to to shepherd the flock. That's the dominant uh, metaphor for leadership in the Bible. I mean, God himself 
is, is a shepherd. You think about Psalm 23. Perhaps the most beloved passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. The Lord is my direct supervisor. No. The Lord is my shepherd. He's a shepherd. He knows us. He cares for us. I mean, that's why that passage is so beloved. Because that imagery of shepherding it expresses the tender care that someone has for the sheep and the knowledge and the, the feeding and the concern for the sheep. You know, again, this is a common human experience. I think elders, elders are wonderful because you find them across all kinds of human societies. And shepherding is wonderful because that's a common human thing too. People take care of animals. Even in modern society. Any shepherds here? Anyone employed as shepherd? Okay, so... It's no shepherds here. And you're like, well, then we can't relate to this. Sure you can. Anyone got a dog? <laughs> Anyone got gerbils? Cats? <laughs> Toddlers? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have animals. <laughs> this, this is a very common human thing that God put in us is people take care of animals. We all know what it's like. It's okay, you're not a shepherd. Think about your dog. You know, I mean, some people treat their dogs better than they do their, their family, <laughs> You know, we, we love animals. Like, oh, you take care of them and you know them and you name them and you make up little voices for them and little personalities. And I, I don't, but you know, people do. <laughs> and so, so it's, it's a very common understanding of leadership. It's, it's a pastoral leadership. In fact, the word pastor is a Latin word. It comes from the Latin word pastor. <laughs> And you know what pastor means in Latin? Shepherd. So a pastor is just a shepherd. Elders are pastors and pastors are elders, and it's the same thing. You know, what's the difference between a pastor and an elder? Eh, trick question. Nothing. Not biblically. Pastors are elders and elders are pastors, and they're overseers. See that look in verse 3, verse 2, they're overseeing. That word overseer is where we get our English word bishop. So I guess I do believe in bishops. They're elders who are also pastors, who are also shepherds. It's just it's the same thing. It's just the task that we as, as elders and shepherds are called to do. But the, the point is, it's a shepherding kind of ministry. And so God's leaders have always been shepherds, sometimes literally. Abraham, shepherd. Moses, shepherd. You know, David, shepherd. Interesting how some of the major figures in the leadership of God's people actually literally were shepherds. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then there's that scene. Do you remember the scene after Jesus rose from the dead and he kind of confronted Peter on the beach? Remember that scene? Peter had denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus is on the beach with Peter after his resurrection and he comes to Peter, and, and they, they get reconciled. Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him that three times. Hmm? And every time, Peter's like, oh, Lord, you know I love you. And what does Jesus say to him every time? Feed my sheep. Pastor my flock. And so I almost wonder if as Peter is writing this letter decades later, however many decades it was, and he's thinking about those those, those elders in charge of the church, if he's not just pulling forward the very words of Jesus that Jesus gave to him 
And he's like, you know, he's kind of like Jesus. And he's saying to this flock, hey, guys, shepherd the flock. And so elder work is pastoral work. Because the church is a flock to be shepherded, not a business to be managed. It's not an organization to be developed. You say, well, aren't there business elements to the church? Of course there are. Just like there's business elements to your family. But your family's not a business, it's a family. It's, it's a family to be cared for. It's a flock to be nurtured. Or to put it yet another way, elder work is people work. It's, it's about the people. You know, like, like how, how, you know, what, what is a, a shepherd, as he's, as he's thinking about his job, how does a shepherd measure whether or not he's been successful as a shepherd? Well, are the sheep mature? Are the sheep healthy? Are the sheep reproducing? Are the sheep safe? Are the sheep well-fed? And if the answer is yes, he's been a good shepherd. And it's the same kind of mentality that elders should have. What's the success metric for being an elder or a pastor? Are the Christians in your church growing? Are they being fed? Are you guarding them? Are, are they maturing in Christ? Are they reproducing spiritually? That's maturity. That's the whole purpose of eldering is to make mature disciples. It's the people. You know, we're here in this election cycle again. And uh, I, I remember back, uh, some of you remember back to 1992, remember that presidential election when Bill Clinton was running for his first uh, time as president. And, and uh, p- part of what his campaign strategy was, he was just trying to stay on message. That's always the, the hard thing when you're a candidate is to stay on message. And, and his, one of his major themes as he was running for his first uh, time as president was the economy. And so his, his team came up with this slogan, and it became kind of a famous slogan. It's been used in different contexts. Do you remember the, the slogan? It's the economy, stupid. That was his slogan. And, and in fact, it, even in his campaign headquarters, they put up a big banner. It's the economy, stupid. You know, it's sort of like, you know, they're telling themselves, like, guys, come on, keep on message. Keep hammering the economy. That's, what, that's what's going to win us this election. And I feel that, that every elder board that meets in every church, wherever they meet, should have a big sign in their room that says, it's the people, stupid. It's the people. It's not the policies. It's not the budget. It's not that stuff. Does that stuff matter? Of course it does. Only insofar as it's serving the people. It's the people, stupid. Every pastor should have a little sign on his door that says, it's the people, stupid. Right? Every Bible study leader should have a little sign on their coffee table as they lead their Bible study in their home. It's the people, stupid. It's about these people. That's what we're here for, is for the people to see them grow up in their faith. That's the calling of a shepherd, is to shepherd the flock. And as as South Shore Baptist Church enters a season of of change, of transition, you know, uh, I just want to encourage everyone here who's in any kind of leadership, whether you're an elder, whether you're a... um, you know, Bible study leader, Sunday school teacher, whether you're leading a little team in the church, a ministry, even if you're just like a husband in your home and you have leadership in your home, like step up your care and concern for each other, especially as we go through this transition. You say, oh, we're doing fine. The transition's going fine. Look, people, you know what I think? I think it hasn't even actually hit yet. 
I don't, we haven't actually entered it yet. We know it's coming, but right now everything's kind of business as usual. I mean, Jeremy's still here, and Seth's still here, and everything kind of seems normal, and it's great. And I'm not saying something bad's going to happen. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't think we've actually entered into the, the hard part of transition yet. And so don't get complacent. This is the time to ramp up our love for each other. So if you know someone who's kind of flaking out because changes in the church and you haven't seen them around, like, man, call them up. <laughs> Shepherd each other. Take care of each other. Be a family. You, yeah, you don't know everyone in the church, but you know some people. And so let's all be concerned for each other. Let, let's, let's let this interim period that our church is about to enter really be a time when we experience a heightened level of love and concern for each other as a church. That would be an awesome metric for the interim. You remember that interim? It was such a sweet time of fellowship in our church. Our church really came together. I remember those days. May that be how God leads us. Who, elders, what, shepherding, how? How do we shepherd? And here Peter gives some some direction. And if I could sum up the how, this is how I would sum it up. This isn't in the text, but it's kind of like my, my own mental summary. I would call it servant leadership is how it's done. Look at verse 2. Serving as overseers, here's how. And he gives us three pairs. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So three not this, but that's. And that's how it should be done. And, and I think all of these together paint a picture of a, a humble servant attitude among those who are leading a church. So the first one is, is not because you must, but because you're willing, not because you're compelled to. You know, you never want to lead in the church or serve in the church because you feel guilty and someone's got to do it and they asked you and, well, I better do it. Like, don't do that because <laughs> you'll do, you know, you'll burn out. And you'll become bitter, and it won't be good ministry. So, you know, if that's where you're at, it's, it's okay to say, you know, I'm just not, right, I'm not in the right place. Or, or if you've been serving in a role for four or five years, and, and then, after, you know, it, at first you were eager, but now you're just kind of tired, and you're like, I don't really want to do this. Like, that's the time to say, I need to step down and, and just get with the Lord again and, and be right. You need to be willing. Does that mean that, that you don't have your bad days? Of course not. I have bad days. Are there days I don't want to walk into this church building? Yeah. <laughs> I bet you feel that way about your jobs and your life too. But overall, I love it. I still got fire in my belly like, man, I really want to serve these people. I want to be a pastor. And as long as that's there, I, I need to have that servant attitude so that it's coming from the heart. Because let's be honest, leadership, whether it's in a church or anywhere else, is just too hard to do running on fumes. <laughs> It's just too hard. You need to have a heart that's excited about it. But not only do you need a, a, an excitement and an, an internal drive, a second thing you need is the right motivation. Look at uh, verse, the end of verse 2. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. You've got to have the right motives. You know, money is a bad motive to be an elder. And probably back in those days and in that context, there was a, uh, an ability for elders to, you know, potentially skim money from the, the offerings and things. So, so, you know, you don't want an elder who's in it for the money or who's in it because they, they want money out of it somehow. Um, you don't want elders who are in it for all kinds of bad motives. 
You know, there's all kinds of bad motives for doing good things, aren't there? We can do all kinds of good things for the wrong reasons. Yes, we've got to make sure that we're not leading for the wrong reasons. Like another bad reason is, is because you've got an agenda. You're like, that's it. Now it's my turn. I'm finally going to straighten this place out. Bad motive. <laughs> or, or, you know, just ego. Like, like a lot of us, you know, we, we just struggle with ego. And like we want people to respect us. And, and we want people to... To, to think we're important. You know, some of us just have real frustrations. We have kind of like significance issues. And, and so we just think like, well, if, if I become that and I get that title, th- then I'll finally be somebody and people respect me for who I am. And whew, bad motive. <laughs> don't, don't go into leading the church with a, you know, work out your significance issues somewhere else and then come lead once you have found your significance in Christ and in Christ alone. Then you're ready to start learning to lead in the church. But not only good motives, here's the third one. It, it, it needs to be humble, exemplary leadership, not lording it over. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I love verse 3. I wish I could just preach this whole sermon on verse 3. That's huge, isn't it? It so often happens that when we human beings get in any position of authority or leadership, be it ever so small, that, that it just goes to our heads. You know, it could be anything. It could be being an elder of a church. It could be chairing a committee. You know, you're the bus driver. Now you've got power over those kids. Shut up and sit down, you little animals. <laughs> Whoa. Where did that come from? It happens, right? Like, wow, you know, she, she used to just be so sweet and all, but then she became the chairman of that committee, and it's like, what happened to her? You know, he used to be this great guy, but then he became an elder, and it's like, now it's like, he's too good for the rest of us. You know, does that happen? Yeah, it happens. Because power is a, is a dangerous thing in the hands of sinful people like us. And, and so there's, there's this real danger you know, anytime you enter a role of leadership, you are in spiritual peril. And you need to pray. Lord, oh, help me not to believe my own press. Help me to stay humble. Don't lord it over people. Don't, don't be entitled and, you know, you know, maybe you've heard of me. I'm sort of a big deal kind of an attitude. That's not what you want to bring to it. But instead, be examples to the flock. People need to see in you what a mature Christian looks like. You'd love it so that, so that leaders in the church, whoever you are, that other Christians could look at them and go, oh, that's what a godly woman looks like. Oh, that's what a man of prayer looks like. Oh, that's what it looks like to be gentle and patient. I see it now. I read it in my Bible. and I'm like, how do I do that? Oh, that's like her. That's like him. And I think one of the beauties of this church, if for those of you who are new Christians, those of you maybe who are new to the faith, one of the cool things about this, and there's a lot of you here, one of the cool things about this church that I love is that we have some, a lot of newer Christians in this church, but we've got a lot of old vets too who've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. So, so there's a lot of people in this church, whether they're elders or not, that you could look at and be like, oh, 
That's how you be a godly wife. That's how you be a godly husband. That's how you follow Jesus as a single person in a way that honors him or whatever it is. There are godly people in this church. And so elders should set the pace there. They should be examples, not those who are, who are demanding and pushing. It should be a kind of servant leadership. That, that's what really works in the church. Heavy... Oh, I need an ambulance? Okay. Where's our... We have ushers here? Great. Someone call 911, please. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Can I lead you some prayer for a minute? Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for your care for us. And Lord, we, we're not sure what's happening uh, here, but we know that it's one of our folks here is in distress, medical distress, Lord. And we just pray that you would... Wrap your arms around him and help him and uh, protect his life. And Lord, we just thank you that you're the good physician, the great physician. Lord, we pray that you would bring the proper medical personnel, that you would help us. Uh, Lord, in this moment, we know, Lord, that church is not a, it's not a show, but it's real life, and real life happens. And so, Lord, we just pray that right now you'd be, be with us in this moment and be with uh, this gentleman, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep preaching, and it looks like we have some folks there who are, who are uh, attending, attending to the situation. Someone's called 911? Okay, great. Well, if you can focus, we have folks caring for this person, it's in good hands, and we will keep looking at this text. We need to be examples to the flock. There we go. Good. Fortunately, we have a lot of nurses and firemen in our church. It's a good thing. This kind of humble shepherd leadership is what Jesus himself modeled for us. If you look at Mark chapter 10, if you wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, and look at verse 35, it's on page 1002, 1002, you remember this story where two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, wanted to be the top disciples. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand, and then the other guys found out about it, and they got all miffed. And so in verse 42, look what Jesus says. He called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's actually the same word as we find in First Peter, is, is lording it over. Those who are leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. That's not how you're supposed to lead among God's people. Instead, get this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many if Jesus came as a servant, then we are called to be servants. It's a servant 
leadership that's, that's called for here, servant leadership. That's what works in the church. You know, that's what works. I don't know if any of you guys ever um, read that book, came out in the early part of this, uh, this century, it was uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. He wrote a book about business, and, and he tried to contrast the difference between good companies and great companies. You know, what, what was the difference between them? And he studied a bunch of companies to see what, which ones were the great ones and what made them great. And one of the common characteristics he found was that was in great companies, the leadership was humble, it was service-oriented, it was delegating, it was empowering. The, the CEOs of those companies weren't big deals in their own minds, but they served others and empowered others and delegated. And so this kind of servant leadership is just, it, it works, it's effective. And this is the kind of leadership that God calls us to. For those of you who are leading in the church, are you leaving, leading as servants? And then finally, verse 4, the why so we have who, elders, what, shepherding, how, servant leadership, and then finally the why. And the why is for the reward that Jesus will bring. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We lead for the reward that Jesus gives. We don't lead to get a reward here and now. And, uh, you know... Man, if, if you're looking to get your reward and all your kudos in this life, then uh, you will be missing out <laughs> because church leadership is hard. Um, church leadership is difficult and it's taxing and you're not always rewarded. You pour yourself out as a leader and, and you don't get much thanks sometimes. And so we look to Jesus when he comes. And don't you love in verse 4 that he's called the chief shepherd? I love that. You know, when I was first... Um, when I first was hired in this church, I wasn't the interim, I wasn't the pastor emeritus. When I first was hired in this church, I wasn't even the senior pastor. You know what my first job title was in this church? Interim assistant pastor. Nothing says job security <laughs> like interim assistant pastor. I mean, even Dave Como is in this interim associate pastor, but I was just like an interim assistant pastor. And... Uh, and I still have a plaque. It's, it's packed away with my stuff now, but I, have, I still have the plaque. It says, Jeremy Rennie, Interim Assistant Pastor. I've just held on to that random little plaque for some reason. But you know, as I've reflected on that plaque over the years, I think that's actually the most accurate job title I've ever had because I'm interim. I'm just here till the chief shepherd comes, right? I'm an interim. I'm not permanent. And I'm only an assistant. I'm not the senior I assist Jesus, who is the permanent senior pastor of the church. And so keep that attitude of being interim, of being assistants, of realizing that it's Jesus who, who leads the church, and that when he comes, he'll give you a crown that will never fade. So as you think about your own leadership, those of you who are in leadership, do you lead humbly? Are you doing it for God's glory? And then what about those who follow? Look at verse 5. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. There should be a respect and a willingness to follow leadership. You notice there in verse 5, it says, young men and those who are older. I'm not totally happy with that translation um, uh, because it's not clear that, that the young men are referring to people who are chronologically younger. And the, what says when those who are older, it's actually just the word elders. So it's not clear if this is literally those who are older and literally those who are younger. The, even the word for younger doesn't necessarily mean younger people. It could be 
just the elders and those who figuratively aren't the elders, who are, who are following the leadership of, of the elders. So I kind of take it to be this is how the church responds to elders. Um, anyway, he says, be submissive. In other words, to follow, you know, to be a good follower. In, in your response to leadership, whether it's elders or anyone else, let me ask this question. Do you make it, in your response to leadership, easier or harder for leaders to lead? You know, is it easier to lead or is it harder to lead by the way we respond? Because let's face it, some of us just have issues with authority, don't we? We just have issues with, with people who are in charge. We, we just don't like people in authority. We're suspicious, we're skeptical, we, we have doubts and questions. You know, and, you know, well, the elders said this, the elders, <laughs> who do they think they are? Elders? And, it's like, mm. and we can have this kind of like attitude where we're always holding everyone in suspicion. We're just waiting for those in leadership to mess up in some way. And so the elders make some little mistake, and we're like, see, I told you. We're always like that. And, you know, if, if that's your attitude, well, guess what? It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because elders are going to mess up. Pastors are going to mess up because here's a little secret. The shepherds, they're still themselves Sheep. The shepherds are still sheep, and they're still following themselves, and they can get lost just like sheep. And so, so have a kind of response to leadership that makes it easier to lead, not harder to lead. Elders and pastors are not above scrutiny. They're not above pushback. They're not above rebuke. They're not above confrontation. But in general, is your kind of posture toward leadership, sort of a negative, skeptical posture, or is it a, a trusting and a willingness and the giving the benefit of the doubt kind of posture? And then look how it ends at the end of verse 5, and we wrap with this. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so I think that's really the, the thread that runs throughout this whole thing is humility. Peter's humility. Not Peter, I'm the rock, but Peter, I'm a fellow elder. Elders not lording it over those entrusted to them, but elders being examples to the flock. And people responding in a humble way. When humility clothes and marks a church, it just does a profound service. Hey, uh, ushers and people who just helped out with that situation, thank you very much. That was just really well done. Thank you. And then look at these words at the end of verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I got to tell you, as I was writing this sermon, the more I reflected on this sermon, the more I, this text, the more I looked at verse 5, and I thought, man, that verse is dynamite. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Like, just let those words sink in. God opposes the proud. Are you proud? Am I proud? Do I have an ego? Is it all about me? Am I all caught up in my titles and respect and do people appreciate me and do they understand who I am? 
Am, am I the kind of person who can't ever be critiqued or, or can't ever have anyone push back on me and, and I can't ever admit that I'm wrong and I can't ever admit that I don't know? Am I arrogant and proud? Am I self-righteous? Do I do all the talking and none of the listening? And I'm always sharing my opinion and my mouth's always going and I'm always pushing my agenda on people. Am I a know-it-all? Am I pushy? Am I controlling and domineering? Am I proud? Am I sarcastic? Do I, am I always ripping everyone and everything? Oh, oh they're so, they think they're, they're stupid. And you know, you're criticizing everything all the time. Always ripping on everybody because you know so much better and everyone else is so dumb. And if they just all saw things your way, the world would be a much happier place. Are you proud Look what it says in verse 5. God opposes the proud. Man, that is so heavy. God opposes the proud. That, that if I'm proud, God is opposed to me. Could it be that the reason your, your ministry is struggling? Could it be that the reason you're praying and praying and there's no answer to your prayers is because right now God is opposed to you? Because beneath it is this pride? Let me ask you folks, if God's opposing you, who do you think's going to win that fight? But if you are humble, if you're not into titles and positions and power, if you're willing to serve, to help someone in need, even someone right in our own sanctuary, if you've just got that servant attitude, if, if you don't think there are some things beneath you, but you're willing to do dirty jobs, be like, I'll do it, I'll help. If you can take criticism, if you can listen when people rebuke you, and you can actually take it to heart and be like, yeah, you know, I think there's some truth in what they were saying. If you're able to say, I'm wrong. I'm really wrong. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I've sinned. If you're able to humble yourself, how does God respond to you? Does God say, yeah, look at you, you tool. No, that's what he says to the proud. Look what he says to the humble. He gives what? Grace. God gives grace to the, to the humble. Oh God, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answer. I don't have a solution. I don't have a plan. And God says, it's okay, I've got Grace. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you my wisdom because you're humble enough to say you don't have it. Oh, God, I'm so weak. I, I wish I was stronger, but I'm so weak. Oh, God, help me. And he gives the grace to strengthen you. Oh, God, I'm a sinful man. <laughs> I need forgiveness. I need power to change my habits and my life. And God says, there's grace for you 
There's grace for the humble. There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. But you've got to humble yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, ever put your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, how do I become a Christian? This is the door. But it's not a big, grand entrance that you walk through into the kingdom of God like a big deal. It's a lowly, doggy door that you've got to get on all fours and crawl through and say, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I am a lost sheep in need of a shepherd. And if you'll humble yourself and you'll call out to Christ, He will give you grace. Let's pray. Lord, we just humble ourselves before you. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of our agendas, our self-righteousness, our posing. Oh God, we long for your grace. So God, we humble ourselves before you and we bring before you those areas in our life, Lord, where we have pretended that we're something we're not. Oh God, help us to take off the masks And just to be real with you and with one another and to say we are lost sheep in need of the good shepherd. Father, I just want to pray again for the the gentleman who is in distress. We just pray, Lord, that you would guard his life. Thank you, Lord, for loving people who surrounded him. Thank you, Lord, for our ushers and our greeters who cared for him. Oh, Lord, what a picture of our need for your intervention. We need you to rescue us, Lord. Oh God, we just pray, be with him and his family today, we pray. And now, Lord, as we come to the Lord's Supper, as we come to the Lord's table, we just pray that you would help us to see our need afresh for the Savior. Lord, would you meet us here at this table, and would you serve us, not just bread and juice, but Lord, would you dispense grace to our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.